Hello. Welcome to a new season of Talking Fußball, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I'm your host, Matt Herman, and this is our 2021-2022 Bundesliga season preview. This is the one where we see who's bought whom, who's sold whom, who's looked particularly good or bad in the run-up to the season. The one that holds the exciting proposition that anything can happen. With me are two pillars upon which the Talking Foosball firmament stands. It is Nick Vildhagen. Hiya, how you doing? Very, very good. And Terry DeFellin. Hey, hey, Matt. How you doing? Nice. I hope that weight on your shoulders is not uh, not too imposing. Weight on my shoulders? Yeah, you're, you're, you're holding up the firmament of uh, Talking oh, Foosball. Yeah, I see. You're a, you're a pillar, just like me yeah, and Nick. I, I mean, it's been the fence. I've been a, a fairly, a largely absent pillar over the last few years, popping in for the odd cameo here and there. But I'm reapplying for a permanent, a permanent residence here. And I'm minding my my P's and Q's, yeah, just in case I, you know, upset you or Nick, you know. We will squeeze you in yet, <laughs> Terry D. All right, we got lots to cover this week. We are going to be giving our thoughts on every team in the league, such as they are, uh, as well as our predictions on how things are all going to shake out in the end. So we better get cracking. Let's dive right into this first part of a multi-part podcast with, uh, you know, the teams that were toward the top of the table, the teams that aim to win titles, that aim to get into Europe, the teams that are expected to pick up a lot of points throughout the season. The easiest way to do that is last year's top six. We're going to talk about, you know, what moves they've made over the offseason and what we make of them. Why don't we start <laughs> with... The number one of number ones, the serial champions of the Bundesliga, the team that seems to dominate the thoughts of all other teams in this league, as well as fans far and wide. That's FC Bayern München. Fellas, are you going into this season with that sort of fate accompli about what they mean for this league? Or are you looking at them more as a team in transition? Because it is a lot of transition. They, they, they let a number of players go, notably David Alaba, Jerome Boateng, Javi Martinez. And they also have a new coach, which is to say uh, Julian Nagelsmann, a guy who they've been after to a greater or lesser extent for a really long time and who's sort of been the, the anointed one. It's finally happening. Bayern and Nagelsmann together. You know, he's bringing Dayo Upamecano with him from Leipzig. There's been a couple of other purchases, although not blockbusters like we might have uh, come to come to expect at times. Is this going to be a smooth transition into the new Bayern future, which is to say more titles? <laughs> or is this going to be uh, take some feeling out? I mean, even Niko Kovac won a title with Bayern München. So, you know, it's actually quite hard to... Join Bayern and not win a title, really, these days. Yes, it's definitely a great loss not to have David Alaba at the club. Him joining Real Madrid is pretty much a, a punch in the face for the officials at the Zebnerstrasse. On, on the other hand side, with Diode Upamecano coming in, you've actually strengthened your defense. Uh, Jerome Boateng, sure, he, he played a great season last season, but at his age... It was a wise decision not to hold on to him anymore. So maybe, just maybe, if, if Bayern can sign maybe one more player who sort of can replace David Alaba, and that is a tough ask because you can basically play David Alaba wherever you want on the pitch. And he's such a flexible player tactically. I mean, if you watch the Euros, the Austrian national team coach, he sort of placed him in all sort of different positions and he was popping up all over the pitch or throughout the entire 90s because, uh, you know, that's what you can do with David Alba. You know, play on left back, defensive midfield, center back, you know, wherever you want. So replacing that is always going to be tough. But um, all in all, the squad still looks like the strongest in the Bundesliga. They've got the biggest coaching talent that Germany currently has, who also is a Bavarian, by the way. Oh, yeah. he is. He's a local lad. So, yeah. What could go wrong, Terry? Well, what could conceivably go wrong is that Nagelsmann doesn't necessarily command the respect in the dressing room the Bayern Munich coach deserves because possibly because of his age and relative lack of experience, although he has been around for a while now. 
it's the kind of thing that you say as a potential argument as to why Bayern might not succeed this season. And then when you're saying it, it still it sounds pretty ridiculous. He has earned his spurs, hasn't he? I mean, he's been to the Champions League semifinals with RB Leipzig. Exactly. I mean, I think you could probably, if you were really looking for reasons to, to, to as to why Bayern won't win the Bundesliga, you might look perhaps at his performance in cups in cup finals and whether or not he's able to manage teams in these crunch games. But then when you uh, re-examine that analysis and then you remind yourself that the Bundesliga is about who is the best team over the course of an entire season, then that answer to that question is almost certainly going to be Bayern Munich, even with a coach who perhaps you know is still finding his way. The other uh, argument is that there's got to be a degree of furniture moving going on at Sapnestrasse uh, and that there might be some more squad changes coming in. Nagelsmann has a brief to bring in some younger players. That may not work as well as it could and that could be a reason why Bayern may may falter as well. So there's a couple of imponderables there and then you've got the possibility of maybe longer term, the risk of long-term injuries of key players Specifically, I guess you're looking at Joshua Kimmich and you're also thinking about Robert Lewandowski. What if accidents were to befall those guys and they were to get injured and, and spend a significant period of time? <laughs> I, I sound like That's a very nice Robert Lewandowski you have there. It's a shame. <laughs> it would be a shame if something happened to it. <laughs> I did sound a bit like a gangster. I didn't mean that as a threat, listeners. I was, it was genuinely a what if. It just... Became just became a threat. I mean, to to fill you in, Terry has has grown up in in the worst parts of of the south of London, <laughs> South London hard man, Terry DeFellin. <laughs> well, okay, all right, fair enough. I'm retired now on the south coast, so so I'm I'm I'm, I'm softening I'm softening up a bit. Um, so I mean, so there's that to consider as well. But I mean, obviously, that would be really that would, that would be terrible if that were to happen. Um, and uh, no, seriously, it would be terrible for that for that to happen. And that's not. Not how you want to do. So you you've got these these possibilities for for Bayern perhaps to to, to fail, but you've also then you still then have to consider that you know anybody who wants to win the Bundesliga this season is still going to have to post a huge number of points, irrespective of whatever Bayern do. So it isn't quite as straightforward as that. So it is difficult to see beyond a Bayern Munich Bundesliga win this season. But it is important that we show our work, I guess, rather than just saying, ah, yeah, Bayern will win, (laughs) whatever, move on, you know. Yep, I I kind of view Bayern as as a a juggernaut that is not necessarily going to stop by dint of, of, of a strong challenge from elsewhere. It's going to take some kind of a breakdown from them. And that might be an injury. It might be an unfortunate accident. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> – but you look at – there are certain certain areas of the squad. I mean, basically, they have four players, to my mind, that they cannot replace. They have Lewandowski, they have Neuer, they have Goretzka, and they have Kimmich. They have – basically, if any one of those four guys goes down, they have no one even close to being as good to replace them. If they were to have a situation where, you know, two or three or four of them were to go down at the same time, they would be in very big trouble. But one thing <laughs> that gives me a little bit of pause is that they want to buy maybe, probably, I mean, who wouldn't want to buy Marcel Zabitzer from – RB Leipzig. That's a strongly rumored thing lately. You know, I, I know that Bayern buying players off direct rivals is kind of a cliche. It's a cliche for a reason. That would be pretty upsetting uh, to both me and the balance of power in the league because he's he's excellent. Real quick, and I know that this is this is a question which I, I maybe has a, a, a ready-made answer, but Bayern have lost a lot of games in preseason. In some cases, lost quite badly. Should we read anything into that in terms of tactical experimentation gone wrong? Or, you know, we, we mentioned earlier there might be, you know, either personality slash authority things happening with the new coach in, in this squad. Like, should we worry for them <laughs> if they, you know, are getting throttled again and again in, in preseason? Possibly. But it's the only thing that you're going to find out once the season starts. Because preseason friendlies are just in, just proper inscrutable. Unless you're sitting in the dressing room. At the time, they're just impossible to read because they're preseason friendlies and because teams, you know, managers, and coaches set their players out. And and you know, so I don't I don't think we can read anything into it. But if Bayern have a bad season, we can look back 
on these preseason friendlies and going, aha, and that gives them the context, but it's very difficult to know, sadly. I mean, putting things into context after the fact is always easy. I mean, uh, having said that, I think one thing you should consider when you look at those results is the fact that a lot of these players have played in the Euros, and that meant that a lot of them have had a longer holiday than the rest of the squad. So when you take those matches into, put them into that category and you think well it's just basically a rundown for Nightsman to get his players to familiar with his tactical setup and the results at this point are mostly secondary it's to get the tactical setup into the brains and minds of the players in a fairly competitive manner that is more competitive than a training session but at the same time less competitive than the DFB Pokal or the Bundesliga or the Champions League yep and you know the likes of Joshua say he's already been loaned out, sold, whatever it is with him. There's lots of players who played in those games who aren't going to play for, for Bayern this season. All right, let's move on to the next team, actually. The team who finished runners-up last season, that is Rasenballsport Leipzig. You know, this is a team, too, that also has a lot of transition going on. At the top, Julian Nagelsmann has has you know, moved on to greener pastures. They have brought in the guy who people thought was going to be his understudy anyway, in that he was keeping the seat warm down in Salzburg. That is Jesse Marsh, the American dream in, in the, the world of, of, of coaching. You know, they've sold Dio Upamecano to Bayern. Ibrahim Okonate has gone to Liverpool bunch of money in the Dar Hills. And they've made some purchases. One we are pretty certain is going to be a good one, which is to say Andre Silva, who killed it for uh, Eintracht Frankfurt last year. And then a, a bunch of players who have really great pedigree, but have not become known quantities in the Bundesliga yet. That's uh, Brian Brabi, Mohamed Simakan, and Josko Gvardiol. Is this the year when RB takes that next step and actually pushes for a title all season? We've seen them have good half seasons before. We've seen them look good for stretches of as many as 15 or 20 games in a row, but they seem to sag somewhere, either through form, through injury, whatever. Is this, you know, the injection of, of uh, a high energy coach like Jesse Marsh or uh, a, a, a striker with the really evident abilities uh, like Andre Silva, which they have not had in the past, or at least not since uh, Timo Werner, these totally different players, but they both score a lot of goals. Is the recipe there? Well, I'm talking two minds about this. I think, I mean, there hasn't been an awful lot of changes in terms of the playing personnel. One big loss in Diet of Meccano. If Marcel Zabitzer was to follow, that is pretty much half the spine of the team suddenly, but one part you probably can replace with the two defenders you've brought in. And Andre Silva, add him to that. Yes, you definitely get a you definitely get a very skilled striker who and that was definitely lacking from RB last season because Yusuf Palson is a great player, but he doesn't give you that amount of goals. Alexander Zerlot, you know, he was touted as as being a very great signing at the start of the season, but um the King of the North turned out to be a little bit uh, more like the immovable object of the north rather is that, is that what they call them so, call him the king of the north yeah they called him that on twitter oh. game of thrones reference uh before he's... Did, doesn't rob stark get you know get killed well they maybe they didn't we don't... think that through <laughs> no but yeah, maybe that's yeah. the maybe there's the irony in the in in calling him the king of the north is it is that's the the irony inherent in there is that obviously you got that is a that is a dubious distinction to hold during the the entirety of Game of Thrones. If I remember the the show, it's a bit of a poison chalice. Indeed, it usually resulted. Don't want to give away any Game of Thrones spoilers. <laughs> Ten in, years, twenty twenty one. Yep, let's take a blast into the past. Uh, Terry, are you are you any more bullish on on Leipzig's chances this season? I mean, I guess one thing that comes to mind is Leipzig and indeed the entire. Red Bull project are generally known in turn in like sort of tactical coaching, whatever circles is playing a very transition press heavy style of football, which in, indeed Julian Nagelsmann is, is conversant with and cool with, but wanted to sort of subvert a little bit, turn them into a bit more of a, a possession team. Jesse Marsh looks by all indications, both in terms of his past and, and the comments that he's made. He wants to go back to the sort of full throttle you know, pedal to the metal transition stuff. Is that a winning formula for the for, for winning the Bundesliga? Is that a winning form formula for getting the best out of these players? 
Well, I certainly, I do think that it is a winning formula. I don't think that Leipzig have ever had enough to overhaul Bayern Munich. I would like to think that if they had kept Dio Upamecano and Konate, and if they keep Sabitzer and they bring in Hannes Wolf, um, sorry, Andre Silva. They're like the same guy. They're like the same guy. That even... Even then, I think that they would they would still they would still struggle against against the the combined might of of Bayern Munich. But I think if you the fact that they've lost those players, they could lose Sabitzer, and they're bringing in you know a, a, a rookie coach at this at this level at least. I think perhaps suggests that they're certainly top four material, but I don't see them as having enough to be able to to to, to win the Bundesliga. Uh, kind of unfortunately, I mean I'm delighted for Jesse Marsh because it's a great story and I'm excited to see you know what he's going to bring and I, I, I'm not going to lie and say that I've watched uh, Salzburg uh, extensively uh, when he was their coach so uh, I don't really I don't have first-hand experience of his style of football but if that is what he's going to do then for me that is that is you know that is when Leipzig have been the most watchable um, so uh, it's certainly it's good for those of us who like to watch good football we'll, we'll get to see those kind of games but but uh, but yeah, I don't believe that it's sufficient to overcome Bayern, uh, a full throttle Bayern Munich. I mean, one one thing I think that we could you know dive into a little bit here is though the fact that I you know I I, I don't like the fact that so many coaches have come from the RB system over the years in the Bundesliga. You get like these full throttle counter attacking counter game pressing game pressing coaches, and it sort of makes the Bundesliga a rather limited league over the years because you know when you look down the list of coaches who are currently coaching the Bundesliga a lot of them have actually you know go, gone to the RB school like Frank even Frank Kramer at Bielefeld he's one of those gig pressing coaches so it, you know the teams become maybe a little bit too similar and that in itself uh, might be problematic for a league. I don't know what you guys are thinking. I mean, it's... I, I think in principle, I, I see something there. I do like to see a diversity of styles in a league. But I personally, I feel like that style, when executed well, and, you know, just to go back a little bit further, maybe, and this is somebody who was associated with RB a while ago, but I think is still, you know, quite emblematic of it, was Roger Schmidt when he had was in charge at Leverkusen. When it's executed well, when it's the highly vertical, you know, like very quick transition football, I, I find it very watchable. I know that there's a lot of squads that you can't really do that effectively with. And, you know, there are there are tiers of coaches, even in the RP school. You know, there are better and worse ones. But I don't have a problem with that style of football. I, I, I generally like watching that you know yeah it's easier like if 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 in the the cosmos the cosmos of coaching tactics there's like you know the transition school and then there's like your your pep possession whatever school you know unless you have a really 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 good team you just can't do the the pep possession style or not not, I, not well i think i think I'm, I'm not against the style in itself what i'm against is that the bundesliga sort of becomes too homogenous in terms of there being not more than one style or fewer styles than there used to be in the past. That's a fair, because, that's, um, that's a fair criticism, I think. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I'm with Matt. I think that the, that, that style is, is, is fun to watch. And I, I mean, I mean, as someone who's old enough to remember when, you know, we've had, we've had situations like this in England where we all in the early nineties, we all got preoccupied with long ball football. Because it was a very, very quick way of winning football matches with a, you know, limited squads. It turned out to be a complete tactical cul-de-sac, as we discovered when English clubs re-entered Europe after the ban. But I mean, it, it, this is this is not like that at all. This is fun and it's good to watch. But Nick's, Nick's point is, is is right. To what extent it matters, I don't know. I mean, I think if you're looking in broader sense of maybe Bundesliga clubs playing well in the Champions League, if Gagan pressing is so familiar to opposition that somebody comes up or that they finesse ways of combating and, and, and counter-attacking that kind of style, then it could be a problem. And it could, uh, you know, and German football, you know, has enjoyed, I think, some tactical diversity after years and years and years of like sweeper football. So it, I think there, there's some wisdom in guarding yourself against that. And there's also some wisdom in thinking about, you know, again, I don't want to sound, I don't want to sound like Nick here, but, but, but there is something to, to think about in terms of, you know, 
Red Bull's influence, not just in terms of the finances and, and in terms of the influence from the on the corporate and the club side and the governance side, but also also their influence on the on the tactical side and on the playing side as well. And and I don't that I suspect is is, is not healthy. Not necessarily because it's Red Bull, but it's just because it's just it appears to be one institution who's making Bo Svensson is a is a is a former Red Bull guy, correct? Mm-hmm. So and obviously did spectacularly well at Mainz. So I mean that that system works. But yeah, it is it is something that we should be keeping in the back of our mind. Indeed. And speaking of uh, Red Bull coaches, we've got one taking the helm at club number three from last season. That is Borussia Dortmund. He is Marco Rosa. This obviously caused a lot of controversy during the season last year. He sort of was the, was the, the first domino to fall in, in a ridiculous succession of uh, coaching musical chairs in the Bundesliga, moving from Borussia uh, Mönchengladbach to Borussia Dortmund. You know, we'll probably address many of these other coaches uh, in due time. He's, uh, you know, replacing Edin Terzic, who is now taking over his technical director for uh, Beifau Bay. Some moves have been made over the summer. <laughs> One very big money move, which was a sale, that is Jaden Sancho, who, you know, finished out his tenure at the club by, um, you know, providing them with a whole lot of income. What did they do with that? Well, they went out and got uh, Donia Malen from the Netherlands. Gregor Kobel, the goalkeeper from Stuttgart, is now, you know, Maybe even going to be there, number one. Sumaila Koulibaly and Abdullaya Kamara, neither of which I'm particularly familiar with. Terry, are you an excited little schoolboy going into this season? Or, or do you think that this entire experiment of, of bringing in a new coach who kind of slumped at the end of last season after, after announcing his departure from Gladbach and selling probably your best player could, could make things tricky? Yeah, I'm not hugely optimistic about Dortmund winning the Bundesliga this season, put it that way. I'm completely open-minded about Marco Rosa because although, yes, it all did go a bit pear-shaped for Mönchengladbach last season after he said he was going, I think I'm happy to just simply take that in context as just something that happened in that club, in that locker room. It wasn't ideal. That is not necessarily a situation that's going to get replicated at Borussia Dortmund. And so there's no reason to assume why he can't have a, a harmonious, dedicated locker room there. And there's some players there determined to succeed in that locker room as well. I mean, I suspect that this is Haaland's last season as a Borussia Dortmund player. And I would imagine that he will be highly motivated to, to make his mark on the club and on the club's history. I think that he is a player who is hugely motivated by success and wants to win stuff. And uh, as much as I suspect he is motivated by this desire to make money because he's a good professional. And so I think that, you know, the, certainly the way he started the season uh, suggests that he's going to be hugely motivated. Marco Royce, again, I think hugely motivated. The, the things that worry me slightly is, has Maitland, will he integrate okay into the new side? in the way that Jaden Sancho did. He'll have to go some, I think, in order to do that. Uh, and I worry about, the obviously, the defence, because you know, the Dortmund defence is historically quite creaky anyway, and with the injuries that they currently have, I'm asking myself if Dortmund are really going to be able to get the kind of points that they need while they're waiting for you know, Dan Axel Zagadou and Matt Sommels in particular to return you know that's that's an awful, particularly Hummels. That's a, that's a, that's going to be an almighty miss, and I think that that's going to change and alter the prospects for Dortmund season. Because again, I mean, whatever Bayern do, if they have a bad season, Dortmund are going to need to be, you know, they're going to be nice to be posting impressive scores, winning three points right from the off all the way through the course of the season, uh, and this is not going to be a, a, an ideal s- situation. So. I'm kind of hoping for memorable European nights and a top four finish for Borussia Dortmund. I mean, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be overjoyed, obviously, if they won the Bundesliga, but I'm not expecting it. I mean, what got Borussia Dortmund a lot of the times over the years, off late, has been the three-three draws against your Paderborns, the two-one losses against Köln and Augsburg. You know, these sort of silly mistakes against sides from the bottom half of the table or mid-table. 
And when you actually look at the sort of performance against top six clubs, they are almost on par with Bayern. So you could argue that the biggest issue that Borussia Dortmund have had over the years is pure and simple consistency. If they had been more consistent against lower table sides, they could have actually won a couple of championships over the last nine years. I don't years. want to get into areas that I don't have a tremendous amount of, of, of expertise in. All of those nine years. <laughs> lack of consistency is is a question of, of, uh, of one tactics, balanced tactical thinking, but also a balanced squad. And so you're looking at coaching and you're looking at recruitment as being the, the, the issues there fundamental to that and obviously it then translates and the end game is is that you get a you generate a narrative for yourself that mean that, that means you're a flaky and, and lacking in consistency and you have trouble putting away teams you should be beating comfortably but it all stems from operational issues and I think that there there are questions that that need to be answered there and one of the reasons why I'm quite pleased that Edin Terzic is the technical director is is that is that it's possible that he may well be able to at least start asking some of those questions to to guys like Michael Zork and uh, and, uh, and about you know where are there any issues about our recruitment because you know th- I say our I apologise for the bias are there issues for Dortmund's recruitment you know going forward the, the policy of finding the best brightest young footballers from the best young players in the world, offering them Champions League minutes, bringing them here, you know, does that result in a balanced team? I mean, it's great what Jaden Sancho did for Borussia Dortmund, and in turn, it's also great for the books that he was able to be sold on at a profit. But is that, in a way, perversely stopping them from giving them the balanced score that they need to actually win these kind of games? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I want to actually talk about young players for a moment because, you know, this is kind of their stock and trade, and I think there's there's a, a big reason to think that, you know, they have three, four, five very young players who uh, are kind of the, the players that everybody across Europe and certainly in Germany are, are coveting. Erling Holland, he's probably in a, in a category all by himself, but he is still young. Jude Bellingham, Gio Reyna, Yusuf Mokoko, and, you know, a couple of other, uh, other folk guys like Ansgar Knauf. Uh, Etc. Who among that group do you think is going to take the biggest leap in this next season? I mean, I think we can all agree that that Holland is <laughs> he already done leaped, but maybe he has another level in him. And you know, if if one of those players does take a leap, how much could that affect the fortunes of of Dortmund this season? I mean. From watching him last season, I sort of got excited by Ansgar Knauf. I think he got some minutes towards the end of the season and he, he looked like a good prospect. But obviously, he is going to get a lot more minutes go this season, at least from what the press in and around Dortmund have been reporting of late. So, he might be the guy with the biggest unfulfilled potential that just... You know, he gets the chance to show what he's got in himself this season. But yeah, obviously, Gio Reyna, he's shown his full potential at times, I think. But he's sort of been lacking the consistency every now and then. And the same goes for Jude Ballingham. So if those two guys actually can pick it up a notch and play, not at a better level, but at a more consistent level, I think Borussia Dortmund is going to take strides forward. I am... Shown to show my English bias here, but I strongly, firmly, sincerely believe that Bellingham is the absolutely the real deal, and I am expecting him to improve this season. I offer as evidence the game in the Champions League, particularly against Seville, against Sevilla, those two games where, by the end, he was he was the captain of the side, and similarly in the cup final as well, where he where, where we, he quickly picked up a, a leadership role. These were the big games with which he shows up in his first season as a 17-year-old. If he improves, and that is an if, you know, I mean, it's got to happen. He has to do the work. If he improves, then we'll see more consistency and more performances like that in the league in games that maybe aren't quite so glamorous. So, so yeah, maybe in those games against Cologne where we're like, you know, we're 2-1 down because we've been sucker punts by two far post corners, you know, and where we need someone to sort of like take control of the game. And because he is a, a proper, he is a 22, there's this great article in World Soccer Magazine about 
Bellingham's squad number, well, Bellingham in general, but his squad number is 22. And it's not just the number, it's also the position. He's a number four, he's a number eight, and a number 10, which all add up to 22. That's how he sees himself. Ooh. If he does, I know, uh, yeah, it's a bit unbearable, really. It's, but, it, I mean, it's good, also good to see that he's, he's finessing his personal brand, even at 17 years old. That was actually his old coach at Birmingham City who gave him that number and said, that's what you are. You've got the potential to be a combination of a four, an eight, and a ten. And if that is that happens, then, I mean, he will be able, you know, he has the, the technical ability to be able to take control of games because he's got, he's got that, he's an old-fashioned box-to-box player, basically, a box-to-box midfielder. Yeah, I thought oh, Jude Bellingham was sort of like this football philosopher of like, you know, the next Andrew Pirlo. Well, you know, I mean, we English do have a propensity to over-egg our talents, and I acknowledge that. And I may be hopelessly wrong about that and overplaying it completely. But I was also going to say Ang Zakanauf, not just because I wanted to be edgy, but because, but because I do think that, that in a relatively short space of time, he's been, been hugely impressive. But outside of that brief as well, Matt, you know, I think that Mo Dahoud is going to benefit from Marco Rosa's tutelage as well so so th- there are definitely areas where, where Dortmund can can certainly improve but I'm still you know pulling my pants about the defense <laughs> all right dig it dig it yeah I'm, I'm expecting big things from uh, I expect big strides from Bellingham and from Reyna I hope for big strides from Knauf and from Makoko and if that all happens you know look out Bundesliga Okay, we got three more teams in our uh, top six. Let's start with Falafel Wolfsburg. I have a great deal of skepticism. I'm going to start right there with this team, starting from the top. They have a new coach. They replaced Oliver Glasner, who, of course, moved on to Eintracht Frankfurt. They replaced him with Mark van Bommel. If you know that name, you were a Bundesliga watcher in the aughts and early teens, and uh, you might still have uh, you know bruises on your uh, on your thigh from just watching the guy play, boss it around the Bayern midfield in uh, uh, you know rowdy roughhouse fashion. Made some nice purchases, I would say, on the transfer market. Most notably, Sebastian Bornau from Cologne, probably Cologne's best, best player over the last season or two. They got the Imecha brothers, you know, Lucas, who is highly touted, Felix somewhat less so, coming back to Germany from England, along with uh, a player called Aster Franks, who they bought actually in January, but, you know, lent him back to Belgium for half a season. Now he's, he's you know, running around in, in Wolfsburg. Was this a smart move, bringing Mark van Bommel in to, to, <laughs> to lead this side? Obviously, I, I, I don't know the sort of day-to-day realities of how he's perceived as a coach by uh, folks who, who watch a lot of Eredivisie, but I, I just I can't imagine he's up to much. I mean, Jörg Schmatke, he's always falling out with coaches. So I'm, you might as well fall out know, on day one rather than wait. You know? Yeah, of that and... I would imagine that Jörg Schmatke sort of keeps interviewing new candidates for the coaching position throughout the entire season because he might just be getting rid or one of his coaches might just, you know, say, screw it. I'm not going to work with that man anymore. Even the softly spoken Mirko Slomka got too much in the end from working with uh, Jörg Schmatke. And, and that says a lot because Mirko Slomka is actually a teacher. They actually, um, you know, they're, they're used to a lot of crap from their students. So if you couldn't stand Jörg Schmatke anymore, it says a lot about Jörg Schmatke maybe. But anyway, so I would imagine that Jörg Schmatke, say what you want about his personal traits and the way he's been falling out with everybody who's ever worked for him. But he's he always struck me as a guy who's done his homework, especially in terms of the transfers that he's made over the years. I mean, the biggest blunders he has made was probably that transfer window that he had after... Köln reached the Europa League. That same season, the following season, Köln was relegated. And he wasn't without fault. But other than that, his career in in sporting management has actually been quite decent. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, he did brilliant, didn't he, with Cologne up until that moment. And he did brilliant with Hanover as well. And he's done brilliant at Wolfsburg, uh, uh, particularly in view of the financial constraints that Wolfsburg have with Volkswagen and, and that whole setup there. So, I mean, I think you can probably trust him to make decent managerial appointments. But yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah, he, it is said that he's the kind of guy who can start a fight in an empty room. And interestingly, you know, there's a perception of Mark van Bommel for all of us who, who follow, who watched the Bundesliga revolt of, of, of him from that's reflected of his, of his playing style, shall we say. But we don't necessarily know how that translates as a, as a, as a man manager and as a trainer and as a, and as a coach. But what would be funny would be is if it turns out that he ends up running his mouth off all the time and actually starts getting booked by referees on the touchline because it would make a bloody change because he, he always seemed to get away with, 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 with murder on the pitch and nothing happened to him. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm already instantly triggered <laughs> by the thought of, of Mark van Bommel back in the Bundesliga, such is the trauma of watching him play for Bayern Munich all those years. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think he brings value to the Bundesliga, certainly. But yeah, and I, I, don't, I don't really know whether or not that's going to be sufficient to, to, to make an impact but I, I mean, my instinct about Wolfsburg is that they had a really, really good season under Glasnow. And I wonder whether or not they actually have the squad to replicate that, even were things to say the same and if Glasnow had stayed. Mm. I mean, when it comes to coaches, though, one, one thing we have to keep in mind is the fact that, you know, if you remember Thomas Scharf, for instance, as a player, he was like this defender's defensive heart man. As a coach, he was really attack minded emphasizing beautiful football absolutely so um, it doesn't always follow Mark von Bommel might be like you know he might be a coach really really into fair play and stuff and never and never mouthing up with a referee don't do that boys yeah, I mean, we do have to remember, despite the fact that he was a, you know, a, a bit of a hard man type, he did come out of a Dutch footballing tradition. He did play at Barcelona for a season. So it's not like he's not been exposed to a lot of forward thinking. <laughs> to the finer things of, of football. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. This is, this is perfectly true. We can't possibly judge. I mean, a lot of it is because we just don't watch enough Eredivisie to really know what kind of a coach he is. So, I mean, and that's fair enough. So we're falling back on old narratives. It's true. It's true. But it, it's, <laughs> I mean, I, I spoke, I spoke briefly with a Dutch journalist about Mark van Bommel uh, a while ago. And he was like, well, you know, you know why, why Mark van Bommel has been getting all those coaching appointments? It's because he's, uh, he's the son-in-law of Bart van Marwijk. And, Van Bommel has actually been his assistant on numerous occasions. Yeah. And his his name in, in the Netherlands isn't his, his reputation isn't necessarily great as a coach. The old, the old boy We have work. to we have to say that. Yeah, he only had one season mm. at PSV. So he had one season at PSV, but other than that, he's only worked as Van Marwijk's assistant. Uh, with Australia and with the UAE. So I think he's pretty, pretty blank slatey at the moment. So let's not prejudge him. I still like this squad quite a lot. They still have, you know, a, a great central defending pairing. They have some great players in central midfield. They have, you know, a great striker. There's no reason why this team shouldn't be good. Other than, you know, may- maybe Mark van Bommel doesn't know what he's doing. We'll see what happens. Okay, let's talk about Eintracht Frankfurt, who, you know, finished behind them in, in fifth place last season. We talked about they were another domino in the uh, the domino game last season. Oliver Glasner moved down a chair in <laughs> the Bundesliga shifteration process. He's replacing Adi Hütter, who, you know... <laughs> All will be revealed where Adi Hütter ended up in just a moment on Talking Foosball. No, you know where he's at. But yeah, lots of changes at this at this team. They lost their best striker, that is to say, Andre Silva. And they bought a bunch of other things. They bought Jesper Lindstrom. They bought Jens Grahl to, uh, you know, as a backup goalkeeper. They bought uh, Rafael Santos Boré, Fabio Blanco, and uh, Christopher Lentz. I still have a lot of time for for uh, you know this squad. I think losing Andre Silva is, is pretty devastating, but they've shown that given a little bit of time, they know how to get past losing their best goal scorers. What I'm li- less convinced by is Oliver Glasner as a fit 
in Frankfurt. Frankfurt is a team that runs very hot. Their fans run hot. The team runs hot. They play uh, a pretty physically intense game, let's just say, have done since since uh, Niko Kovac was in charge. Oliver Glasner does not necessarily embody that quality. His manner is pretty sober, pretty uh, straight ahead. He's not particularly interested in entertaining crowds with football, although Volsport did become more more watchable as, as time went on. How do you like this fit? Well, Terry, why don't you jump in? Uh, well, I've just seen, not long seen, Eintracht's first competitive fixture of the season. It was a doozy, um, huh? And it was a doozy. It was a doozy. I mean, and, and, and well, if you're if you're Waldorf Mannheim, it was an absolute doozy, and it was a two nil victory for the third division side over Frankfurt. And Waldorf played extremely well. It's got to be said. Uh, but we are talking about a third division club playing a, a first division club. And I know also there's form because this time last year, or when Adi, it was Adi Hutter's first game in charge, rather. Not this time last year. Adi Hood's first game in charge was a first round cup exit. So there are perhaps omens there. But I mean, having watched that Eintracht team play, they were a bit of a shambles, it's got to be said. And so I think there may be some systemic problems that might need addressing very quickly. I'm not suggesting that they'll be terrible. But they were terrible today. <laughs> they, did. they really were. It wasn't one of those like, oh no, they, you know, they were really unlucky. Like, you know, Kevin Trapp, you know, was a busy guy in this game. And so I think that they've got, they've got some problems to address and work through. Uh, it looks to me that there's a change of style going on there and that they're not going to be running as hot. And they're not going to be as emotional, I think, as under Glasner as they were under Hutter, and indeed as they as they were under Kovac. So, and I wonder whether or not they're just making some changes. But you know, when you've got like the ever dependable Martin Hinteregger, you know, making fairly fairly you know rookie mistakes, you know, being turned inside out by a third division striker. Yeah, he was sent off in the game. How, how did that happen? Yeah, I mean, he, yeah, the guy's name is Costly. Uh, I can't remember his first name. So, and he had a decent game. I mean, but Mannheim's tactic was basically knock the ball forward as quickly as possible. And they had these zippy zippy forwards running and around the back of the, of, of the Eintracht defenders. And one of them was hooked and the other one got sent off. And, it, it's, <laughs> and, it, and you, you're looking at it and saying, you know, this is pretty basic tactics that you should be smart enough to better get around. Now, you know, it's one game. It's the beginning of the season. A lot of these guys are like Mannheim are like, what, three, four weeks into their season. So there's lots of things to consider and unpack and excuse. But I think they've got a bit of a journey to make before the start of the season to be able to get themselves ready. And that is going to be a significant blow. So we will see what happens. I mean, there may well be an entirely different Eintracht by the time they go out against Dortmund next week. So a lot of my analysis of, of, of Frankfurt is based upon just that one game, which is probably not, not entirely fair on them. But I mean, I think in a broader sense, yeah, I think they're going through something of a transition in terms of their playing style. And my word, they're going to miss those Andre Silva goals. And it's difficult to see where they're going to come from because they've not got an established Bundesliga goal scorer, I think, to guarantee those replacement goals. Yeah. I mean, the, the one thing we haven't even mentioned yet is the fact that Fred Bovic isn't there anymore. So that in itself is a massive change of, you know, at the top of the club as well and processing the fact that you lost the coach that has given you the best finishes and the most consistent performances over the last couple of years that Eintracht had in many many years and that Eintracht lost the guy who sort of started rebuilding this team back in the day I mean Eintracht were sort of a side that was going back and forth from Bundesliga 2 and the Bundesliga time and time again Dabbling in coaches like Armin Weyer, thinking that they were the real deal. You know, one year making Europe, the next year getting relegated. And uh, now they've been able to get some stability under Borbic's stewardship and, you know, losing him. And, you know, replacing him with a bit of an unknown quantity is... Um, it's It's going to be exciting and it's going to be... Yeah, it's it's there's so many question marks. So it's it's going to be rather interesting to see how this season develops for Eintracht because I think they've been very consistent, as we've said over the last few years, always sort of been near the top of the table. 
can they maintain that next season? That is probably one of the biggest questions right now in the Bundesliga, given the many losses they've suffered over the summer. All right, that's the last word on Eintracht Frankfurt. we got one more team in the top six. That is Bayern 04 Leverkusen. They, too... They were not strictly involved in the domino game. They they went outside the normal pile of tiles that were lying on the table to hire Gerardo Seuane, who, you know, led young boys to three straight titles in Switzerland. So that's that's not a bad thing to do, you know. Take young boys, win them the title. I mean, crazy. <laughs> now he gets to work with medium age boys. Exactly, exactly. These are all grows up. So there, there's quite a few changes in this side as well. They they sold Leon Bailey for pretty pretty good sized money. Tinyedvai uh, was on the way out. Damari Gray, who sort of maybe wasn't really all that into being there, moved on as well as well as uh, Alexander Dragovic. He's kind of old though. They got some some new blood. Odilon Kasunu, Mitchell Bakker, Andre Lunev, goalkeeper, that last one. Any indications as of yet how Sewane wants to play with this team? The raw material is there for sure. I mean, they, they decided to hang on to Lucas Alario. We have, you know, European championship wonder goal scorer Patrick Schick in this side. Is, is maybe Sewane the man who led young boys to three straight titles? Sorry, I just want to say it as many times as I You're can. really into saying young boys, aren't you? <laughs> who can blame me? You know, winning mentality is kind of the, you know, the very, very stock answer about what's been, been missing with this club for a really long time. Granting that there is a little bit of truth to that in that this is a team that often goes through phases of the season where they look like they are, you know, title or top four or whatever the, the, the bar you want them to clear candidates that they then don't clear. Maybe somebody who is a serial winner is a good idea. What do you reckon, Nick? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, I, I don't know yet how he wants to play because obviously, um, I mean, we bemoan the fact that we watched far too little Eredivisie football and um, usually I'm not in the habit of watching young boys play so can't really tell you anything here I've you know I've read some some articles about him that he's actually quite flexible uh, you know that he does enjoy the pressing game and that he does uh, uh, you know he, he likes attacking football but uh, how this is going to work out in sort of a, in which way it's going to work out for Leverkusen and how he's going to line up the side I don't know yet as I didn't watch them in the cup, obviously, but that cup game they actually won. But yeah, winning mentality. I, I don't know. I think I don't think that Leverkusen have the raw material to be at the top of the Bundesliga right now. I think there are a couple or at least three or four teams that do have a better squad overall. And yes, you can make some of that up with the mentality, but no, I don't. I don't see them beating that monster that is Bayern Munich. Short answer. All right. Well, let's let's take it down a notch then, Terry. I'll start with you. They only finished sixth last year, which by Leverkusen's fairly lofty standards is just just an okay season. How do you like their 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 chances to do a little bit better then? Yeah, I, I think that the thing that occurs to me about that by Leverkusen last season is that they just imploded on the last day of the Hinrunde against Bayern Munich, and it never really recovered from that. And that, in principle, they've got the ability and they've got the... I know losing Bailey is a is a big miss. And I think also, I mean, losing Bailey in terms of your, your stats, you know, the goals and the assists that your potential that you're losing with Bailey is one thing. And also losing the dressing room presence of Dragovic, I think, is also something to consider. But I think on balance, there's tremendous potential for that squad to at least finish in the top four, as they probably should have done last season. Everything was going really well. They were top of the table. They looked fantastic. So if they can get a, a coach with that winning mentality, then while that may not necessarily, you know, three, two straight, you know, titles with young boys is not necessarily going to translate into a Bundesliga win, but it might translate into giving them the fire in the belly that they need to be able to get in, into the top four to fulfil that squad's potential, which would have suggests to me still very much a, a top four team. Since I think, yeah, that there's going to be there's going to there may well be some some places available in that in that final four. So I, I think it's there for them. One quick thought: if we're going to say young boys anymore, I think all iPhones are going to delete this episode from all Apple products. <laughs> 
<laughs> Having said that, I think I think the fight for the top four is is going to be pretty exciting this season. I think we're going to see a few other sides getting into that fight that uh, we are going to talk about in part two as well. Yeah, I, th- I think that Bayer Leverkusen definitely have a chance of, of being in that conversation, but it's going to be a tough race for those top four places. Okay, that is it for this edition of Talking Foosball, which was produced, as always, by Aiden Rantoul. Really great to have you back on the podcast, Nick. Always great to, to be on Talking Foosball. And uh, hey, uh, this year I don't get to talk about, uh, you know, Werder Bremen, which is, is going to be a relief because the last few years have been um, bad Really bad. I know how that feels, Nick. I know how that feels. You are a Hertha fan. You do indeed. Yep, yep. I, I, Terry, on the other hand. Yeah, well, I understand, though, that you might have some, some ideas up your sleeve about how you can still talk about Werder Bremen. We'll let you uh, percolate those and, and reveal them in time. Terry D., you know, this is going to be the first of many this season. I'm, I'm, I'm excited by that. Yeah, the first of many, although... <laughs> Ironically enough, I'm not available next weekend. But after that, I will be available because it's still summertime here and it's someone in my life's very significant birthday. But thank you very much indeed for having me back on and I'm really looking forward to coming back on again. All right, and you can, of course, follow Nick and Terry both on Twitter. Nick is at Normusings. Terry is at Terry DeFallon. Simple as that. If you want to contact me over there, I'm at Mr. Matt Herman. Please do subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your pods, your podcatcher. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Talk us up a little bit. It is a big help. It helps people find us. If you're looking for Talking Foosball Fantasy, if you haven't heard it already, they are not going to be coming out with a separate episode previewing match day one this week. They have recorded, however, a uh, 2021-2022 season preview, which includes direct tips for the first match day of the season. And if you are a committed player, you understand that without a track record, it's kind of hard to zero in on a lot of specifics, but they're going to do their best. JT and Flo, of course, they know what they're talking about with fantasy. Check out their episode. Bis zum nächsten Mal, y'all.